It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. Wars and rumors of wars, the time of great change is upon us. The controllers and their matrix media mouthpieces have now changed the channel, so to speak. What happened to the Ukraine war? What happened to Lahaina? And the long and growing list of other catastrophes unfolding all over the world. The controllers have updated the script. What information are they omitting that's critically important for any accurate assessment of what's unfolding and why? Let's start with this two-minute recorded statement from a former Israeli military veteran. Listen closely. October 7th, 2023. This is Afat Fenningson, and I'm here to share an update from Israel-Hamas war, which started this morning. Apparently, Israeli defense forces that were supposed to be around Gaza were placed around the West Bank because of security concerns so that the, the Gaza envelope was left unoccupied with military. They say around 60 to 80 percent of that area was left without the IDF forces that were supposed to be there. A year ago, there was a military operation in Gaza to prepare for such events, and ongoingly there are trainings for these kind of scenarios. This raises serious questions for me, anyway, about Israeli intelligence. What happened? Two years ago, there were... um, There was a successful deployment of underground barriers with sensors to alert exactly on these kind of terrorist breaches. Israel has one of the most advanced and high-tech armies. How come there was zero response to the border and fence breaching? I cannot understand that. Personally, I served in the IDF 25 years ago in the intelligence forces. There's no way, in my view, that Israel did not know of what's coming. A cat moving alongside the fence is triggering all forces. So this? What happened to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something is very wrong here. Something is very strange. This chain of events is very unusual and not typical for the Israeli defense system. The current government is highly corrupt in my view, while the previous one was no better. I don't care about having a popular opinion. I care about exposing evil forces wherever and whomever they are. So to me, this surprise attack seems like a planned operation on all fronts. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that this feels like the work of the deep state. It feels like the people of Israel and the people of Palestine have been sold once again to the higher powers that be. At the same time, this is still very, very difficult to fathom. Again, everything you just heard from an Israeli military veteran. Moving on. What aren't Americans told about the conditions that have been forced upon innocent Palestinian civilians for decades? From the UK Independent, Gaza under siege, described as, quote, the world's largest open-air prison by human rights groups. Gaza is, in essence, a 25-mile-long strip with 2.3 million, quote, prisoners. Again, that's from the UK Independent. And even with this in mind, the Hamas attack must be condemned, of course. But mustn't we ask... Who allowed it, or even facilitated it, and why? From BBC, 
This headline, Egypt warned Israel days before Hamas struck. So much more to the story than what the U.S. Matrix Media Ministry of Propaganda is telling us. What a surprise. The Wall Street Journal said this, how Israel helped to spawn Hamas. That's from 2009. Let's follow the history with this from this Wall Street Journal report. Israel for years tolerated and in some cases encouraged Hamas as a counterweight to the secular nationalists of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Now from the Washington Post, how Israel helped create Hamas. That's from 2014. From that report, a strange self-sustaining relationship remains. Israel's hawkish government, comprising many politicians who have little interest in seeing the creation of a separate Palestinian state, dwells on the security threat that Hamas's crude rockets pose. Then there's this 2015 headline from ANONHQ.com. Assange reveals that the West is behind ISIS and Ukraine crisis and Israel behind Hamas. Now let's add this. This is an October 11, 2023 report from Haaretz Israel News. Why did Netanyahu want to strengthen Hamas? Question mark. From that report, Netanyahu developed a destructive, warped political doctrine that held that strengthening Hamas at the expense of the Palestinian Authority would be, quote, good for Israel. Next question. Did Netanyahu ensure that Hamas was well-funded? Short answer, yes. According to the Jerusalem Post, in a private meeting with members of his Likud party on March 11, 2019, Netanyahu explained the reckless step as follows. The money transfer is part of the strategy to divide the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. Anyone who opposes the establishment of a Palestinian state needs to support the transfer of the money from Qatar to Hamas. Netanyahu continued, in that way, we will foil the establishment of a Palestinian state. The Jerusalem Post report continues with this. It's worth dwelling on the horrifying significance of these remarks. An Israeli prime minister himself knowingly and calculatingly cultivated one of Israel's most bitter and fanatic foes, an enemy whose declared aim is to destroy the country. And he did it to prevent the horror scenario from his standpoint of a return to Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. The Jerusalem Post article then states, Thanks to the funneling of millions of Qatari dollars to Gaza with Netanyahu's repeated approval as part of a deliberate and malicious policy aimed at nothing other than bearing the two-state solution, Hamas acquired inordinate military capabilities within a relatively short time, and that resulted in the current situation. Final statement from the Jerusalem Post. A commission should investigate Netanyahu's long-term policy of strengthening Hamas. Now this from the UK Guardian. Part of the irony in Netanyahu's promise to, quote, eradicate Hamas is that politicians like him have long helped nurture the organization in an attempt to undermine the Palestinian struggle. The Guardian article then quotes Netanyahu as saying, Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support the bolstering of Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. That's what Netanyahu reportedly told to a group of his Likud party in a meeting in 2019. 
Now there's this from the Times of Israel, October 9th, 2023. For years, Netanyahu propped up Hamas. Now it's blown up in our faces. From that report, the Premier's policy of treating the terror group as a partner at the expense of Abbas and Palestinian statehood. The idea was to prevent Abbas or anyone in the Palestinian Authority's West Bank government from advancing toward the establishment of a Palestinian state. That's what all this is about. Thus, amid this bid to impair Abbas, Hamas was upgraded from a mere terror group to an organization with which Israel held indirect negotiations via Egypt, and one that was allowed to receive infusions of cash from abroad, as I already went over. The Guardian article then says, bolstered by this policy, Hamas grew stronger and stronger until Saturday. Israel's Pearl Harbor, the bloodiest day in its history. Yes, Israel's Pearl Harbor event. Question, was that the plan all along? You decide. And while you're pondering that not-so-pleasant probability, consider and remember, unfolding and accelerating global ecological collapse is forcing the controllers to accelerate all their plans at, quote, warp speed. Connect the dots. Back to the glaring red flags of a coming attack from APNews.com. This headline, Hamas practiced in plain sight, posting video of mock attack weeks before border breach. Nobody on U.S. Matrix Media is trumpeting this one, are they? This AP News report then says, less than a month before Hamas fighters blew through Israel's high-tech, quote, iron wall and launched an attack that would leave more than 1,200 Israelis dead, they practiced in a very public dress rehearsal. A carefully produced two-minute propaganda video posted to social media by Hamas on September 12th shows fighters using explosives to blast through a replica of the border gate, sweep in on pickup trucks, and then move building by building through a full-scale reconstruction of an Israeli town, firing automatic weapons at human silhouetted paper targets. The AP News report then says the Islamic militant group's live fire exercise dubbed Operation Strong Pillar also had militants in body armor and combat fatigues carrying out operations that included the destruction of mock-ups of the wall's concrete towers and communications antennas, just as they would do for real in the deadly attack that came. More from the AP News article. Hamas appears to have hidden its extensive preparations for the assault in plain sight. One of the compounds Hamas used to prepare was so close to an Israeli border checkpoint that soldiers could have been able to observe it from the border wall itself. They continued, there clearly were warnings and indications that should have been picked up. That's a statement from Bradley Bowman, a former U.S. Army officer who is now Senior Director at the Center on Military and Political Power at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. The Associated Press reviewed more than 100 videos Hamas released over the last year, primarily through social media app Telegram. Using satellite imagery, the AP was able to verify key details as well as identify five sites Hamas used to practice shooting and blowing holes in Israelis' defenses, and no one knew a thing. Question, is it even remotely reasonable to believe that Hamas was practicing for their invasion in plain sight from the most protected border in the world and the Israeli military had no clue? Just a so-called intelligence failure or a meticulously manipulated intelligence stand-down order with an unthinkable agenda? You decide. And with all that in mind, let's rewind to this statement. A transcript of the statement that Netanyahu made all the way back in 1990 known as the quote, Fink's Bar Diatribe. Here it is from the current leader of Israel. Quote, if we get caught, 
they'll just replace us with persons of the same cloth. So it doesn't matter what you do. America is a golden calf and we will drain it dry, chop it up and sell it off piece by piece until there's nothing left but the world's biggest welfare state that we'll create and control. Netanyahu continued, why? Question mark. Because it's God's will, he said, and America is big enough to take the hit so we can do it again and again and again. This is what we do, Netanyahu stated, to countries that we hate. We destroy them very slowly and make them suffer for refusing to be our slaves. Look that quote up for yourself. It's not hard to find and verify its source. In summary, Is it any way rational or reasonable to believe that the most sophisticated military in the world with the most highly monitored border barrier in the world somehow missed groups of jihadists milling around and planting explosives in numerous locations, then driving convoys of tractors, pickup trucks, and 20-year-old Chinese motorcycles through the blasted openings in the barrier, taking selfies all along the way, continuing to roam around Israeli roads for hours, almost seven hours to be exact, wherever they pleased? And overhead, the Hamas Air Force, super loud lawnmower-powered paragliders with very visible machine gun-toting jihadists. And again, no one noticed a thing for almost seven hours. Not the Israeli military, not the Israeli police. But no matter how many formerly untold facts that are brought to light, sadly, far too many only believe what they're officially told or that they see on the Matrix Media Ministry of Propaganda. Let's stop there. Here's a few examples from recent decades that make crystal clear the fact that the military-industrial complex and the power structure-controlled matrix media that represents them have lied to Americans about the true causes and nature of conflicts over and over and over. Yet, far too many Americans, again, continue to gulp down the lies because, after all, it feels much better to tell oneself that America and its joined-at-the-hip ally are good and everyone else is bad. Here's a few key examples of the lies, though there are many more. Pearl Harbor, the U.S. military provoked Japan by cutting off their supply lines. The U.S. military knew the attack was coming and did nothing. The military-industrial complex is in the war business. They need to galvanize Americans into blind and unquestioning support for a world war in that case that could have been averted at numerous points during the previous years. But they didn't. Next, the Gulf of Tonkin event in Vietnam the false flag that the U.S. military used to trigger the Vietnam War. The events of 9-11, also called, quote, the New Pearl Harbor. The license for the U.S. military to invade whoever they wanted and wherever they wanted. How many lies were fed to us about that dark day? How many Americans even know that there was a third high-rise that fell that day, Building 7, that never got hit by anything, yet it collapsed in its own footprint, Free fall speed, seven seconds in the afternoon of 9-11. Don't believe me. Please search Building 7 Collapse online. Look at it yourself and tell me something's not radically wrong with what we were told or what we weren't told. Why did World Trade Center Building 7 collapse? We're officially told that there was some furniture burning on the first and second floors. A 47-story steel structure high-rise building collapses because of some furniture fires on the first two floors. Stop and think about that. Anyone that's gullible enough to buy that lie should probably be under full-time supervision. The official excuse for the collapse is so utterly and totally impossible that there wasn't a single mention of Building 7 in the entire 9-11 Commission report. And here's the truth about Building 7 collapse on 9-11. A peer-reviewed science institution in the U.S. proved 
that WTC Building 7 was brought down by controlled demolitions. Peer-reviewed study. Please don't believe me. Please, please look it up. 9-11 Architects and Engineers for Truth. 3,500 top experts in their field from around the world helped conduct the study. How many eyes wide shut flag waving pretend patriots in the U.S. are there that absolutely have no interest in this extremely painful truth because embracing the official lies feels so much better. After 9-11, the invading of countries that had nothing to do with the event was commenced. And what was the common thread with these countries? Resources, starting with oil. Israel's most guarded and monitored border barrier in the world being completely unattended of monitoring for almost seven hours is certainly comparable to the most massive U.S. military machine not being able to locate what we were told was multiple hijacked commercial airliners for hours directly overhead in U.S. airspace, including the most protected building in the world, the Pentagon. Yes, the truth is indeed the first casualty of war. The money printers control the narrative they always have. Their goal, to trigger an emotional response in the majority of the masses based on their version of the truth. Deductive reasoning, based on objective investigation, isn't a part of the equation for far too many in these cases. Next, go for Saddam's weapons of mass destruction that weren't. But in the end, Americans didn't seem to care. Again, lots of oil to keep the loot, plunder, pillage, and pollute party going. A final footnote about the constant demonization of Iran, an oil-rich country that has invaded exactly no one in over 240 years. Over the last 100 years, the U.S. military has invaded, destabilized, and or occupied almost 100 countries. Question, who's the most aggressive nation in this equation? A nation that desperately needs more oil and is willing to take it from anyone that has it. For the record, the U.S. military juggernaut has nearly 800 bases in countries all over the world. Yes, this is called empire. And on the subject of keeping the military-industrial party going, from the New York Times and RT World News, Israel asks U.S. for emergency 10 billion additional dollars. From that report, Israel has requested 10 billion in emergency assistance from the U.S., the New York Times reported on Monday of this week, speaking during a visit to Tel Aviv on Sunday, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said lawmakers had discussed supplying Israel with new and replacement ammunition, precision-guided bombs, and joint direct attack munition. That's called a JDAM kit. And what does that kit do? It converts standard munitions into more accurate ones and can program the munitions to detonate above ground, thus leaving Little or no crater. Yes, more guided missiles that can then be blamed on misguided missiles. In the meantime, already brutalized Palestinian civilian populations are told to evacuate to the south of Gaza while Israel bombs the south. From AriseTV.com, Israel's Netanyahu is trying to start World War III. And lastly, this question... Who's the tail wagging the dog in this equation? Is that blank hard to fill in or not? Some final considerations from MilitaryWatchMagazine.com. The Bataan is the third U.S. carrier that has dispatched to the region since the attack launched by Hamas. And this is a major U.S. military buildup. Here's a question. What exactly do the Warhawks have on the agenda? And how did the Hamas attacks facilitate that agenda. You decide. 
And there's this puzzle piece from the UK Daily Mail. Here's the headline, quote, U.S. preps for possible attack on D.C. with simulated incoming missiles. Those simulations so often seem to turn into something else, don't they? Is it just more hype or part of the script? Again, you decide. But either way, the so-called defense industry, the epitome of disaster capitalists, are certainly embracing such headlines. For almost a decade and a half, geoengineeringwatch.org has stated on the record that as we neared the crossroad when climate and environmental collapse could no longer be hidden or denied and populations were close to waking up, the controllers would play ever bigger cards, and indeed, they are. Matrix media and countless elected officials have been and are criminal accomplices in regard to so much that is unfolding. Will the power structure soon intentionally instigate a limited nuclear exchange in order to put enough particulate matter into the atmosphere to provide temporary cooling? A nuclear winter scenario? Does that sound unthinkably insane? Some circles in Washington are openly discussing doing exactly that. If this happens, we're done. All of us. The ionizing radiation would strip away what little is left of the ozone layer. Game over. There are no coincidences. The puzzle pieces all fit together, including the entire CV-19 scenario. Please do honest, objective research and connect the dots while it can still make a difference. The controllers are completely committed to their current course of total decimation. They won't stop of their own accord. It's up to us to turn the tide. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. We are told that climate calamity could be coming. Devastating droughts, destructive deluges, unprecedented firestorms, collapsed crops, wildlife and fisheries collapse, the Gulf Stream is shutting down, polar regions are imploding, all soon to be followed by collapsing societies. But in fact, biosphere collapse has already beat the controllers to the proverbial intersection. They are now more desperate and more dangerous than ever before. Consider the following quote from a former U.S. Defense Secretary. Here it is. Others are engaging in an eco-type of terrorism whereby they can alter the climate, set off earthquakes, trigger volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. So there are plenty of ingenious minds out there that are at work finding ways in which they can wreak terror upon other nations. It's real, and that's the reason why we have to intensify our efforts, in quote, a.k.a. weather warfare. The final statement again. That's the reason why we have to intensify our efforts. That statement was made by U.S. Defense Secretary William Cohen at a DOD news briefing in 1997. Yet we're still told, and many choose to believe, that climate intervention operations aren't real. We're told others are doing it, so we have to. Is that excuse valid in any sense when it's coming from the very nation that most pioneered weather tectonic and geologic warfare from the nation that has been engaged in it for by far the longest from the nation that is neck deep in it on a scale that is far larger than all other participants combined. This is a mathematical fact due to the sheer size of the U.S. military machine and the depth of depravity embodied in those who wield this weapon of mass destruction, ultimately those who print the money. And they do this under the guise of spreading freedom and democracy. Am I advocating for other governments? No. I'm justly criticizing my own. The time is now long overdue for U.S. military brothers and sisters to take an honest assessment of what they are facilitating. Empire. Not freedom and democracy. 
Moving on to the bottom line of biosphere collapse, how are the lungs of the planet doing? Short answer, not good. The Amazon is drying and dying by the day, while places like Ireland are drowning. More flash flooding on the U.S. East Coast, while the western U.S. yet again bakes and burns, even in late October, with temperatures up to 105 degrees. In fact, in my northern California off-grid forest home on the east side of Lake Shasta, this week, late this week, it was 80 degrees at about 10 at night. That is radically wrong. So often now, the sun goes down, but the temperatures don't, and that is a very, very ominous harbinger of what's to come. And the biggest source of atmospheric oxygen of all, plankton, also crashing. 90% decline in the Atlantic. Other oceans not far behind. From NewRepublic.com, this, Endless War on a Dying Planet. Subtitle, The Dual Tragedies of War and Ecological Collapse. How insane is it to use Earth's last remaining resources to build more weapons of war? About the endless wars and about the endless climate engineering onslaught, remember this principle, qui bono. Here's the dictionary definition. A principle that probable responsibility for an act or event lies with one having something to gain. With that in mind, from firstpost.com, profiting off the war, how defense stocks are rocketing amid Israel-Hamas conflict. From that report, no one wins in a war, but maybe military contractors do. As the Israel-Hamas conflict rages on, the stocks of defense companies, including Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and others, have seen a significant jump. However, some experts observe that these spikes can stall and are certainly not sustainable. Nothing about military-industrial society is sustainable. We're about to find that out the hard way. But this FirstPost.com report then says, amid the grief and the anguish and the fury, there seems to be a sector that is smiling, i.e. the defense industry. Their smiles are because the war is benefiting them. Again, this question, how long can any so-called civilization last when their measure of profit is based on weapons of mass destruction? Here's another even more primary qui bono objective in so many conflicts, to secure more land. Do any current examples come to mind? The military-industrial complex and the criminally insane who control it exist for conflict, without which their entire paradigm would collapse. The military-industrial complex cancer has always fomented conflicts in very covert ways, has always polarized populations with carefully crafted propaganda. The path that this paradigm leads to is a dead planet, and we will all go down with the ship. Them, us, and the entire web of life. Again, even the entire Amazon basin, including the Amazon River, is drying up and dying. Drinking water is now being delivered to some regions of the Amazon. Think about that. A lack of drinking water in the Amazon. More later in this broadcast. From the Guardian newspaper, IMF should give poor countries $300 billion a year to fight the climate crisis, a.k.a. climate collapse. And for those that still refuse to face reality, no amount of money printing can save anyone from a dying planet with climate engineering raging in our skies. The military-industrial complex isn't putting on the brakes. Those who control it are pedal to the metal, full speed ahead until total collapse. On that theme... Here's a past report that is more relevant now than ever before. 
How One Nuclear Skirmish Could Wreck the Planet. That's from Wired.com. The report says even a small nuclear exchange could ignite mega firestorms and wreck the planet's atmosphere. New climatological simulations show 100 Hiroshima-sized nuclear bombs, relatively small warheads, compared to the arsenal's military superpowers store today. Detonated by neighboring countries would destroy more than a quarter of the Earth's ozone layer in approximately two years. Now here's the bad news. This report is already 12 years old. The ongoing and accelerating collapse of the ozone layer is catastrophic today. And that's primarily due to climate engineering operations, leaving with an existing average of only 20 to 30 percent of what the ozone layer should be. That's now. So let's do the math. With the ozone layer already diminished to an average of 25 percent of what it should be, and there's even a small nuclear exchange, no more ozone layer, no more terrestrial life. Simple. The long-term scheduled weather scripts from NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and NWS, National Weather Service, are absolutely all over the board. 14-day so-called forecasts that are constantly completely altered from one day to the next and then back again. From Climate Action Australia, 10 reasons our civilization will soon collapse. A deep dive into the problems where leaders have let spiral out of control. First, let's stop there. We don't have any benevolent world leaders. We have varying degrees of matrix-serving criminals. And about the report on 10 reasons for collapse, one, overshoot, the crossroad of which we hit about 50 years ago. It would take five planet Earths to sustain the current rates of extraction and consumption. Two, the end of cheap carbon fuel. Again, this equation in the year 1900 one barrel of carbon fuel would provide enough energy to extract a hundred more from the ground. Now the equation is one for five and diminishing rapidly. And for other sources of energy like tar sands, they're actually an energy net negative. It's simply an energy conversion at a net loss. It takes about 1.4 units of energy to end up with one unit of the desired form of carbon fuel. That can't continue for much longer. Three, the failure of so-called green energy, which includes peak metals used in some of these products, and there is no green energy. It's simply a carbon fuel extender. Is it better than the outright burning of carbon fuels? Yes. Will it save us from ourselves? No. Four, dwindling resources overall. There's too many categories there to list. Five, topsoil erosion. That's happening to a degree that few can imagine. We have the protracted drought followed by firestorms, followed by floods, winds blowing soil everywhere. Uh, this is a, a, a very, 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 very dark trajectory. We are having water shortages. You can't rain less on a rapidly warming planet unless there's a factor we're not being told about. That factor is climate engineering that's completely thwarting the hydrological cycle. But even where it does deluge, the rain is toxic. It's not helping forests. They're dying faster than ever. I know because I live in the middle of one. Seven, climate change, a.k.a. climate collapse, further fueled by climate intervention operations, which we are told aren't really happening, though we can see it with our own eyes. Eight, biodiversity loss. We're already neck deep in that equation in the sixth mass extinction. What's worse, what's happening now is happening exponentially faster than any previous event. And that makes it exponentially worse. Nine, migrant crisis, a.k.a. ecological collapse 
refugee crisis. 10. Increasing conflict around the world. Covered some of that already. And it's all related, ultimately, to biosphere collapse. Conclusion. For decades, it's been obvious that our global industrial civilization has an expiration date, but only recently have many scientists come to realize that the expiration date could be during their own lifetimes. Indeed, mathematically, statistically, we won't make the end of this decade on the current trajectory. 50 years ago, humans overshot the carrying capacity of the planet. Since then, we have been exploiting Earth's resources faster and faster, stealing from future generations. Civilization, in its current form, would never have existed without carbon fuels, but we're rapidly running out of them, and it appears that green energy won't be able to replace them. That's very clear. There's not enough metals in the ground for many of these technologies, on top of the fact that they use extensive amounts of carbon-based fuels to produce them. How much oil does it take in the form of energy to build a 90-story high wind turbine to transport the materials to erect it? None of this even considered in the equation. The public is unaware of all the factors involved. Even if we had unlimited clean energy, we would still run out of crucial resources like rubber, sand, groundwater, and the ingredients for fertilizer, as the world's topsoil already stated, erodes. It will get harder and harder to grow enough food for everybody, and that's now, today. Eventually, we might not be able to grow food at all. Water shortages are already becoming a major problem, and this is just the beginning. Climate change is drying up the rivers, climate engineering most core to that equation, The Climate Action Australia article then continues with this, burning down the forests and causing disasters the likes of which we've never seen. Meanwhile, life of all types, from tiny plants to giant mammals, are going extinct even faster than they did during their previous mass extinction events. Covered that already, and it's not just a little faster, it's hundreds of times faster. In fact, 15,000 times the background rate today. As the web of life falls apart, human societies will become impossible to maintain, That's already happening now. All this chaos will lead to the worst migration crisis in the history of the world. The Climate Action Australia report then says the political tension and fights over resources could very well lead to nuclear annihilation. Already covered part of that. But things are so bad that even without nuclear war, the report says, we could still see human extinction by the end of this century. That's where this report is so radically wrong. If the human race remains on the current course, it's a mathematical certainty that we won't make the end of this decade. And that's even without nuclear annihilation. Can't continue to do what we're doing and expect to live long. And here's the part of the equation that most still don't understand. It is as non-linear as it could possibly be. An exponential equation of self-annihilation. That is the road we're on. You're listening to the weekly installment of the commercial-free, non-political, global alert news report, The End of the World as We Know It broadcast, brought to you by geoengineeringwatch.org, the largest and most visited website in the world on the subject of global climate engineering operations, a.k.a. weather warfare. Reaching a critical mass of awareness is the only way forward in this fight. And how do we accomplish that? By starting a conversation on climate engineering that leads people to a credible source of data, and Geoengineering Watch will strive to be that source of data If we could reach that critical mass of awareness, so many wheels in this battle would turn on their own as people in every arena realize that they are indeed fighting for their own lives. That could change the equation. From the UK Guardian, 21 species removed from U.S. Endangered Species Act. Is that good news? 
Not so much, because they just went extinct. That's why they were removed. And again, we're losing 200 to 300 species of plant, animal, and insect per day to extinction. Again, this reminder, that's 15,000 times the background rate. That's a million and a half percent of normal. From the JerusalemPost.com, magnitude 5.5 earthquake strikes southern Iran. And from National Geographic, a rare and puzzling domino effect triggered four powerful quakes in Afghanistan. We don't hear any of this on U.S. mainstream media. And yes, the earthquakes just keep coming in Afghanistan, and the so-called science community just can't figure it out. Between increasing thermal expansion and ever more advanced tectonic frequency weapons, and yet more are likely in store for many regions. And recall what I covered at the beginning of this broadcast from 1997 that even then acknowledged by top members of our own government that such weapons existed. Tectonic frequency weapons. And now we have earthquakes occurring regularly in any and every country that seems to oppose the hegemonic power of those who control the matrix. How are the frogs doing? The proverbial canaries in the coal mine. Not so well. From PBS.org, scientists looked at nearly every known amphibian type. They're not doing great, the report says. They continue, a study published in the journal Nature found that the status of amphibians globally is, quote, deteriorating rapidly, earning them the unenviable title of being the planet's most threatened class of vertebrates. And now let's tell the whole truth. Again, nothing in the web of life is doing okay. I so treasured the tree frogs whose nightly singing only 15 years ago would echo in the canyons around my off-grid wilderness home. And now, the silence is deafening. It is deeply painful for me to only now occasionally hear the few that remain. More on the ubiquitous contamination of our planet from MIT Technology Review. Think that your plastic is being recycled? Question mark. Think again. Reports says plastic is cheap to make and shockingly profitable. It's everywhere and we're all paying the price. Been over that in previous broadcasts that we're all sucking up polymer nanoparticles with every breath we take. The report continues, currently about 430 million tons of plastic is produced every single year. According to the United States Environmental Program, the UNEP, significantly more than the weight of all human beings combined. Again, that's per year, annual production, 430 million tons. One third of this total takes the form of single-use plastics, which humans interact with for seconds or minutes before discarding. Scientists have found significant quantities of microplastics in the further reaches of the ocean, in snow and rainfall, and seemingly pristine places. The report continues, in the air we breathe and in human blood, colons, lungs, veins, breast milk, placentias, and fetuses. They continue, 95% of the tap water in the United States is contaminated with microplastics, which are also widely found in beer, salt, shellfish, and other human foods. Significant quantities of these plastic bits have turned up in common fruits and vegetables, as one recent study in Italy has discovered. So here's my question. Since we know climate engineering patents include polymers, polymer nanoparticles, how much of what the public think is being recycled, or in the case of what we breathe and are exposed to is just decomposing plastic from trash, is actually from diverted plastic to climate engineering operations, some with aluminum as well. Both elements are increasingly saturating our rain and breathable air column. How long can we hold our breath? 
often make reference to the drought deluge scenarios that climate intervention operations are so effective at augmenting. And with that in mind, from AccuWeather, California's battle with drought versus floods will be complex heading into 2024. The report then states, last winter seemingly erased short-term drought woes in California in one fell swoop, which is actually false. California forests are bone dry with trees deteriorating and dying faster than ever. The AccuWeather report continues, El Nino could prove to be too much of a good thing heading into this winter. Still, AccuWeather forecasters say there's ground to make up in order to quell long-term concerns. Really, more toxic rain will magically make everything better on our dying planet? Don't bet on that. And speaking of which, from Yahoo News, this new headline. With salmon at risk of extinction, California begins urgent rescue effort. Report says typically now is the time when creeks along the Sacramento River are filled with young Chinook salmon preparing to make their journey downstream to the Pacific Ocean where they will mature and eventually make their return to California's spawning sites. This year, however, the salmon population has plummeted alarmingly, what officials call a cohort collapse, and biologists are taking urgent measures to save them from extinction. For the first time, biologists with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have begun capturing the juvenile spring-run salmon so that they can breed them in captivity and hopefully prevent them from disappearing from the wild. For the record, if the salmon can't make it in the wild, they won't last long being bred in captivity. Next, another dose of delusion from the so-called science community from newsatlas.com. Human-made cooling stations could save spawning salmon. A new study shows that by installing, quote, cooling stations in those rivers, we could help the threatened fish make the trip. Stopping to rest, the report says, at these locations does help the salmon, but they still have to eventually continue their journey upstream. Did they need to tell us that, as if that fact wasn't self-evident? And how do they cool a tiny pocket of water here and there with yet more carbon fuel energy? What a great idea. This so-called solution is like trying to stop a tidal wave with a paper cup. And this, perhaps, this next report, is this good news for a change or Again, exactly the opposite from alaskanativenews.com confirms salmon are spawning in the Arctic. Report says throughout most parts of the salmon's range, things have gotten too warm and they're starting to blink off. That's a statement from an associate professor at UAF's College of Fisheries and Ocean Scientists. They continue, in the Arctic, the water is getting warm enough and they're starting to blink on. Salmon migrating north, surviving at least for the moment. Moving on, and while we're pondering all the bad news, perhaps we can all have a cup of coffee and a chocolate bar, or maybe not. From phys.org, coffee and cocoa plants at risk from pollinator loss. That's accelerating around the globe, and it's not just pollinators. Insect decline globally down 80 to 90% terrestrial and aquatic. How long do we think we can survive if the insects can't make it? You can put a light on here in Northern California, middle of summer, leave it on all night. No insects show up. Why aren't people alarmed when they drive down I-5 in California, for example, through all the agricultural regions where your windshield used to be so covered with insects you had to go from station to station to clean it off, and now there's nothing, and nobody notices. Nobody cares. But they will, soon, 
when the store shelves empty out. Moving on to more mind-numbing stupidity from so-called academia. This nugget from Zach Holder. That's chief meteorologist for WITN. Here it is. In the following statement from Zach, he's trying to explain away a massive radar anomaly, the obvious result of a frequency transmission, which shouldn't have been too hard for Zach to figure out since there's a transmitter facility in the exact center of the perfectly circular transmission ring that showed up on the radar loop. But Zach came up with another story, perhaps because his job is to cover the tracks of the climate engineers and the frequency transmissions they use. So here it is from Zach Holder. Cold air coming in means birds are on the move. Almost a billion birds migrating tonight. Impressive radar representation, too. Again, that statement of total absurdity from so-called chief meteorologist for WIT and Zach Holder, that a billion birds formed a perfectly circular ring involving hundreds of square miles directly around a frequency transmitter. Question, how many have seen even a hundred birds in one place in recent years, let alone a billion? And even more disturbing than Holder's beyond ridiculous explanation is that the majority of the public actually believes the billion birds taking off in every direction, forming a perfectly circular image on a radar that covered thousands of square miles. This is just another footnote from the Planetary Asylum. If you see any article, report, or commentary about climate anything from any perspective that isn't first and foremost addressing the climate engineering elephant in the equation, which is not only atmospheric aerosol spraying, but the frequency transmissions, you know that the source of the climate commentary is disinformation. If the authors of climate anything don't fully acknowledge climate intervention operations, they are either clueless or lying. Take your pick. Again, For the record, there can be no legitimate discussion of climate anything from any perspective without first and foremost addressing climate engineering operations. Moving on from phys.org, scientists count huge melts in many protective Antarctic ice shelves, trillions of tons of ice lost. From that report, four dozen Antarctic ice shelves have shrunk by at least 30% since 1997, and 28 of those have lost more than half of their ice in that time. Reports a new study that surveyed these crucial gatekeepers between the frozen continents, massive glaciers, and open ocean. I hear from many when I cover reports like this that try to make the argument that, correctly so, that sea ice doesn't displace sea levels. I never said they did. But when these buttresses for the land-based ice, when this sea ice disappears then the land-based ice begins to slide off the land mass. And then many factors begin to take hold. The land-based ice, of course, does raise ocean levels. And as that massive weight is lifted off the land mass, you have what's called glacial rebound. The land mass actually begins to rise up out of the ocean, which displaces even more ocean water, which raises sea levels further still. Many factors, the details matter, but once you learn those details, it's quite straightforward. From Climate Action Australia, deep ocean currents around Antarctica headed for collapse. Study finds mentioned that at the beginning of this broadcast. Again, this is 
really, really bad news. And the report says such a decline would stagnate the bottom of the oceans and affect climate and marine ecosystems for centuries to come. That part's not true. If it collapses, and on the runaway scenario we are on right now, we might be talking about equilibrium periods in the millions or tens of millions of years, not centuries. From WMFE.org, new study projects sea level rise to drain Florida's financial future. From that report, one million Florida properties are projected to become chronically flooded. These are properties that today fund nearly 30% of local revenues for more than half of the state's municipalities. That's according to a new study conducted by researchers at Cornell and Florida State Universities. Let's stop there with biosphere collapse, but you get the idea. Unfolding and accelerating earth changes aren't just impacting our current reality. They will very soon overturn it altogether. Climate engineering in the misguided attempt to mask meltdown while simultaneously using weather as a weapon is further fueling the complete collapse of Earth's remaining life support systems. Bottom line, short of a complete course correction, Mad Max is coming to a neighborhood near you. With that in mind, ponder this headline from BeneathThePavement.com. We are turning into warmongering, hateful, genocidal fascists and it's getting worse. In the face of a depressing present and an even worse dystopian future, we are reverting to primitive tribalism and hate, a world at war forever. On Thursday of this week, Biden stated the following, that the U.S. was, quote, working to build a more stable Middle East. That's a claim that is so far from the truth it isn't even worth responding to. He then said, I deliver the promise of America. America is a beacon to the world, end quote. I would ask Mr. Biden, a beacon of what exactly? A beacon of militarism, of illegal resource exploitation and extraction, illegal occupation, completely unsustainable consumption? What beacon are you referring to, Joe? And then Joe said, quote, so many believe in a better life because of America. Really? Mr. Biden, exactly where are those people? I've been to numerous countries around the world, northern and southern hemispheres. I haven't found the people you're describing. So explain this headline, Mr. Biden, from a number of sources. International poll finds America to be the greatest threat to peace in the world. Not my conclusion. That's from an international poll. Please investigate it for yourself. Americans live in a bubble. They don't know what people in other nations think of us. They only have the opinion that's been fed to them by the Matrix Media Ministry of Propaganda. That must change. From the Bulletin.org, that's the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, this Putin's bluff, a cautionary note about underestimating the possibility of nuclear escalation in Ukraine, and now we have the Middle East to add to this equation. So let's ponder for a moment what is known as Giddens Paradox. Giddens Paradox suggests that since no previous generation has ever had to confront the problem of human-induced climate change before, a.k.a. abrupt climate collapse, further fueled by climate intervention, weather warfare operations, It is thus hard for the public to accept it as a reality, let alone an urgent problem, when stacked up against the diversity of other problems in the world that they currently face. Giddens' paradox 
the definition, no matter how great the dangers posed by unfolding and accelerating earth changes, their lack of immediate visibility in the everyday world, at least in first world nations, that people won't act to deal with them. By the time the dangers are immediately visible, it will be too late for any action on the part of the people to be effective. If Giddens' paradox is correct, there's nothing that can be done to avert what's coming. This is a very troubling question for the human species. Can human beings summon the courage and moral fortitude to look beyond the immediate and the tangible and engage in a strategic long-term process of thinking so as to act for the greater good, the common good? Short of this, we remain entangled with Giddens' paradox, and far sooner than later, we will go to oblivion. Climate and ecological collapse has set the challenge. It is for human beings to respond accordingly, or else we are merely writing a requiem for the species and likely the entire web of life. Yes, the horizon indeed grows darker by the day. Challenges, as yet unimaginable to most, are nearly upon us. Even if there was no looming world war, and even if the fabled rogue meteor never hit us, industrialized militarized civilization alone has done the job. We can accept what is coming well or poorly, but accept that we must. And this being said, even now, we all have a choice to dwell in the non-reality of what we wish was so, or to summon the courage to face what actually is so. And if we all faced reality head on, while looking through a clear lens, we could yet make a quantum leap in the right direction, but we must do so now. Tomorrow will be too late. No matter what our individual circumstances or abilities, we can all help to move this fight forward. Sharing credible data from a credible source is key. Geoengineering Watch strives to be that source. It is our mission. It is my mission. I live for the day when the climate engineering insanity is fully exposed and halted, and after that, the rest of the insanity with it. Start spot fires of awareness. Stoke them till the flames can no longer be extinguished. We must move this fight forward as if our lives depended on it, for indeed they do. Spawning global conflict is the final fallback of the matrix manipulators of the global predator parasite class. They are now playing out their endgame in our skies and on the ground. But no matter how dark the horizon, our futures are not yet carved in stone. There are countless variables that cannot yet be known. But this is certain. We will never know what may yet be possible unless or until we apply ourselves fully to the task at hand, exposing the insanity and salvaging what is yet left of the planet's life support systems, without which all other points, all other concerns, all other causes become moot. Check the activist suggestions link on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org for specific instructions on how you can move this fight forward. Please make your voice heard, make every day count. True, unshakable solace can only be found in facing the gathering storm head on. Until next week, this is Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org.